The following conversation is a living continuum that includes every link of the coffee value chain from before the seed to after the cup. I'm Jesse Hartman, and this is The Coffee Podcast. Welcome back. I feel like I should be saying this to myself, seeing how we have not released content since April 2018, but hey, welcome back to us all. I'm excited to introduce to you the first episode in our series on coffee myths. Today, we talk about the seemingly pervasive idea that Arabica is better than Robusta. Joining us on the show today is Hannah Neuschwander, the Communications Director at World Coffee Research. In this episode, Hannah and I will build a sort of foundation for the conversation on Arabica and Robusta as part one of two parts within the Coffee Myth series. So hold on to your donkeys. Let's dive in. Today's topic, I feel like, could ruffle some feathers. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming this. It's been an assumption that Arabica is kind of the uh, the end all be all of, of coffee plants. Am I right? Yeah. Um, I think you're right about that. I think there's definitely, um, a kind of consensus idea in the coffee world that Arabica is, it's the good, it's the good one. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. um, Robusto, which is a sister species to Arabica is, um, you know, the, the lesser half, <laughs> the redheaded gotcha. stepchild, if you right. will. Um, right. I think that's a pretty clear consensus. And it's certainly been um, supported by a lot of marketing over the years. You know, if you go back to the kind of second wave of coffee, if we're going to use the wave terminology, um, you know, in the last half of the 20th century, there was um, a lot of direct marketing by big coffee companies um, that really emphasized like 100% Arabica. You know, that's how you knew what good coffee was. It was 100% Arabica. Um, And then I think with the advent of the specialty coffee market, and especially the kind of super high-end niche stuff, it's like, like, it's not even a question. You don't have to put it on your bag that it's 100% Arabica. It just right. is 100% Arabica. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, that's a, I think that's a pretty firmly entrenched um, assumption. I, I like how you said it's not even a question because today it is. It's a question. Yeah, we're going to question <laughs> we're, that. We're going to question <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, but before we can uh, jump in and ask the question, I think we need to understand some of the basics around, you know, the conversation, Arabica versus Robusta. We need the basic understanding of taxonomy. And I don't have one. I, I mean, I have super basic because I did a little bit of research on this. But can you break this down a little bit for us? What's the difference between these two words? Yeah, so we're just we're going to go straight back to high school biology 101. Don't run away from your <laughs> from your listening <laughs> device. We'll do this really quick. It'll be painless, I promise. Um pen and, pen and paper in hand or whatever. Right, right. So if you reach your mind back into those recesses, those dark recesses, um you might remember, you know, learning about you use the correct word there, the taxonomy of life forms, right? You've got genera and family and you know this is the the branching of the tree of life where the bacteria go off on one branch and then animals and plants on another mm-hmm. um and in the plant kingdom you have a family what's called a family of coffee species called coffea and within this family there are actually 100 and 
25-ish. There's actually more than that, but not all of them have been officially described by scientists. About 125 different species in the coffee family, in the coffea family. Two of those species are the ones that we drink uh, widely. One is coffea arabica, or arabica. The other is coffea canephora, which we know kind of colloquially in the industry as robusta. But there's 123, Uh there's actually more than that, other species in the coffee family. Um, You know, and this is how these things are defined as like it's biologists going out in the field and looking at the structure of the leaves and how things relate. Most of those 125, 123 other species are not, you would never drink them. They are are either undrinkable or... (laughs) (laughs) you know, completely unpalatable. So it's really these two that have emerged over the course of the the last two centuries that human beings have really been um, widely planting and growing and trading and encouraging coffee agriculture. Longer coffee's history is longer than 200 years, but that's the kind of global that's, it's been a global product for two to 300 years. Um, And these two species have really, they've kind of won the race. You know, they, they're, what they are able to provide to humans is what humans have, are looking for <laughs> in, a, in a plant that, that, that produces a seed that can be roasted and ground up and uh, consumed for, for f- caffeine and flavor. They are kind of like sisters or cousins or something. So they're, they're in the same family, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's funny to me because, you know, these are the two uh, species that I've ever heard of there's you said what 123 other that we know of and so uh there's a that's a that's a lot of species that we don't even talk about so uh we're not going to go down that road uh more than we already have but it's good to understand i think the basics of what we're talking about here to get some perspective as we move forward because it's going to get a little abstract here in a second when we start to talk about you know defining what is better what what makes mm-hmm. a coffee better? Um, so with this question, first a comment. So it's assumed Arabica is inherently a better quality coffee. How should we define quality in this argument? How, how should we go about that, do you think? So, you know, better is, as you, as you have basically said, um, better is in the eye of the beholder, right? Who, what, who are we talking about here? Are we talking mm-hmm. about coffee drinkers? Are we, are we talking about people with a certain kind of palate for taste? Are we talking about farmers? Um, right. Because the characteristics of these coffee plants, these two different species, are are quite different from a farming perspective. And in many cases, I think robusta is a better plant for a coffee farmer, depending on where in the world they are, what size of farm they have, what the what the sort of structure of the farming system around them that they find themselves in is. So I think I think this this kind of central question of like. Are we talking about flavor or are we talking about farming is really an important one when it comes to, mm, yeah. but even when it's just about flavor, I think, you know, there are some, I'm not myself a roaster, so I can't, I can't speak about this super authoritatively, but I'm aware that there are a lot of roasters, especially in that kind of second wave category that use Robusta in their blends not just because it's cheaper or whatever, but because it actually has some specific characteristics that are useful in a blend, mm. like um, crema production. So, right. you know, there's people like David Schomer from Espresso Vivace who, you know, are pretty o- upfront about 
saying like, we use Robusta for this reason. It's not the core component of the blend, but it's really a, a really important part of the blend. So that's part of, you know, part of it is defining, even if you're just talking about flavor, what do you mean by flavor or quality? What is your end right. goal? I mean, at the end of the day, coffee, as much as we like to sort of romanticize it about as, as being this sort of aesthetic experience, it's a, it's a product. And as a product, mm. it's something that humans have designed. And any product, any design product has um, an audience in mind and a set of kind of built-in requirements. You know, there are buildings that are optimized for like factory production, and there are buildings that are optimized to be cozy family homes. They're just different. <laughs> is one better than the other? No, it, it depends on what your end goals are. And I think that that is true of um, the kind of Arabica Robusta debate when it comes to either quality or farming. So can can we go into a little uh, more detail about each of them uh, sort of individually on their on their own levels of, you know, what is this one good for? What is that one good for? Starting with Arabica, can we talk about maybe uh, just two main categories um, as far as a farmer goes? Like what should they put in the ground if they need something that's going to last a long time, endure, that sort of thing? Uh, is Arabica, Robusta, is one of those going to be better for them? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to uh, see yeah. where else we can go on that. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's interesting to look at the kind of where these um, two different species come from, like where they actually evolved and originated, because that actually tells you a lot about um, what kind of plant they are and how they perform. So Arabica evolved in highland mountainous forests in Ethiopia. These are densely shaded high altitude kind of cloud forests. Um, and they're sort of, therefore, you know, they, they tend to work really well at higher altitudes um, and, and be sort of optimized for that environment. Now, of course, we've, we've done a lot of breeding and farming over the years to bring Arabica out of these shady environments into full sun. And there's lots of full sun plant, Arabica plantations in Colombia and Brazil and whatever. But it's kind of natural state. The place where it evolved was in these in these shady mountainous regions. Um, Robusta, on the other hand, it's it is a more genetically diverse species. It has more than one center of evolutionary origin in various parts of Western Africa. So that right there is is definitely interesting to like an organization like World Coffee Research that's involved in breeding because there's just more there's more genetic diversity available in Robusta mm -hmm. than there is in Arabica. And the more genetic diversity you have, it's kind of like having a bigger toolkit for solving problems. This is one of the reasons why Robusta is, in general, more resistant to various diseases and pests, because it's just got a bigger toolkit as a species for managing problems. Could you go as far as to say that it's genetically ahead of Arabica? Well, yeah, in a way you can, right? Because Robusta is actually a much older species. Oh. Robusta is one of the parent species of Arabica. So Arabica originated as a kind of spontaneous natural cross between Robusta or a closely related relative and another of those, one of those other 123 species called Eugenioides, Coffea Eugenioides. So Robusta has been around for a lot longer. The estimates on this that I've seen are it's been around for about 100,000 years. Arabica has probably been around for closer to 10,000 years. It comes from a bigger pool and it's had more time to adapt to different environments. So I don't know if it's like 
quite exactly the right way of phrasing it that it's ahead of. Right, but in right. a way, chronologically, it sort of is. It's older. Circling back, sorry, to to the idea of Robusta evolving in these multiple different places in West Africa, it is adapted to a wider range of environments than Arabica, which just evolved in these kind of high mountain forests, these cool mountain forests. So this is one reason why Arabica coffee grown in these high in these kind of environments that look a lot like that the sort of high altitude constant temperatures you know between summer and winter not too much variation night and day not too much variation Um, arabica Mm -hmm. really thrives in those environments and it turns out that those environments are also the same environments that are really conducive to the production of interesting flavors because you have a slower maturation process for the fruit if you have a, a really hot dry sunny exposed farm, the fruit is going to ripen faster. And when that happens, you have less time for the fruit to produce these interesting volatiles and aromatics, you know, so this wine growers are familiar with this as well. You, for different types of wine, you might want something that's a little more like hot and dry and fast, but for in general, that slower maturation process is going to give you more interesting flavors. It's, you know, the plant itself and where it comes from and its history and its biology makes it very well suited to the same kind of environment that produces these really interesting flavors that we are now very privileged, I think, to be experiencing with the advent of the specialty coffee market and especially the kind of super specialty coffee market. Um, You Mm -hmm. know, it used to be that even if you had a farm producing these amazing coffees, they would all get thrown together in a big pile with everything else. <laughs> right. um, and oh. now, and and now we don't do that. You know, we can separate them and we can really appreciate right. them for what they are. Robusta, you know, it evolved in a wider range of um, environments, but um, that includes lower altitude, hotter environments, um, more humid environments, some also dry. In fact, the amount of research that's been done on Robusta is not as much as what's been done on Arabica, Mm. in part because there's more of it, and it's kind of just done a good job of thriving on its own. And so we haven't had to ask too many questions about its limitations, especially when we think about the context of, say, climate change, where a lot of places that grow coffee are getting hotter and drier. There's not a lot of high altitude farmland available. It's not easy for a farmer to pick up his or her farm and move it up high and achieve that kind of location Mm -hmm. where Arabic is going to thrive or where you're going to get that premium price. More and more, I think it's going to be important to look at Robusta and look at what its real limitations are and what just its perceived limitations are. Because we're going to have to, we're going to have to look harder at Robusta, I think. That's just the reality. You're, You're talking about the future of coffee now. Yeah, yeah. I am. and But it's not even the future. I mean, it is, it is actually the present. So if you look at the kind of global trend for Arabica and Robusta production, 10 years ago, 70% of the coffee grown around the world was Arabica, 30% was Robusta. Today, it's closer to 60-40. So mm. the shift is happening already. To some degree, that's new countries like uh, Vietnam kind of coming online and being basically growing only Robusta. That that helped shift the percentage quite significantly. But it's also um, farmers in countries like India, which used to be almost exclusively an Arabica country and now is much closer to 50-50 because India has had really, really awful disease and pest problems. And Arabica is just, it's just not as robust. <laughs> Robusta has a very good right. nickname. It's just not as good at fighting those things off. And 
you know, at a certain point, farmers um, kind of max out on their toolkit, or it becomes so expensive to fight back these diseases and pests that it doesn't make sense for them from a from a money perspective. So, so besides uh, the conversation about what uh, is going to sort of survive in different areas better uh, than the other, what's going to last us the next fifty years or what have you, I know that there's going to be a lot of people asking the question. Okay, okay, yeah, maybe they're not. Uh, we shouldn't pin them against each other, this Arabic and Robusta. But what about how they cup? You know, what about how yeah. they taste? Like, could the argument be made that there's Robustas that could cup, like, uh, you know, the high-end Arabicas that were, are available in the super specialty market? I, I think there's this conversation's already happening. And I think that there's some evidence that really high-quality Robustas are possible. The question to ask is, like, well, how do we define quality? How do we define what good is? And we actually, we have some tools (laughs) available to us for that. And one of the kind of standard (laughs) things, right, that the industry uses to think about this is defects and cupping scores. Mm -hmm. One of the really interesting differences between the kind of international standards for Arabica and Robusta is that if you are trying to qualify your coffee as, say, specialty coffee for Arabica. You you can't have more than a certain number of defects and it has to cup at 80 points. And I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not the Q, I'm not a Q grader expert, but you know, there's big, there's standards, right? There's, they're pretty universalized. They're agreed upon. If you're a coffee buyer or a roaster, you know what those standards are and you're kind of aligned with everyone around the world on it. There's no standards for Robusta. So of course, if there's no quality standard, you're gonna just have everything Wait, all what? together. Are you you're serious? There's that, no there's there's no standard for robusta. Well, there is now. So there's something called the R standard, which was developed okay. by the Coffee Quality Institute, which is the okay. organization yeah. that has that developed the Q standard, which is the the quality standard for Arabica. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you become a Q grader. You're tra- you're a tra- considered a trained professional, and you know how to identify defects and um, categorize how many defects a given co- sample of coffee has. And if it has, you know, a certain amount, you would say, "I'm not going to buy that because it doesn't meet my standards." Right. Right. Um, until the creation of this R program, there there wasn't um, a quality standard program that was that was universalized and global and a kind of common language that everybody spoke. In that situation, it's a little bit like what you know, all of coffee used to be, I, I mentioned earlier, like you, you, you might have these, this beautiful farm producing amazing quality coffees, but it didn't matter at the end of the day, because it all got mixed together with all the coffee from right. lower down the hill and from the farm over there. And even, you know, from that country over there, it was just coffee. It's a commodity, not it wasn't a specialty product. Um, that's more where Robusta is at. It is almost always I mean, with the exception of just a very few number of farms that are working with this R certification in the world, is almost always just bulked together with coffee from anywhere. It's not differentiated. And so even just by introducing a standard and by having a basic level of differentiation, you're pretty much guaranteed to be able to get something better out of it, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, doing something like Daylots with Robusta, which I've never heard of, right? You, yeah. You're talking about 
a lot of this robustas being uh, just mixed together. I think specialty, the super specialty market, and the specialty market really took off too with daylots. You know, yeah. so I wonder maybe yeah. that is in the near future. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Well, and so there, you know, now this this um, this program exists, and there's a couple farms that are working with it, um, and I think they're trying to figure out can we produce a better quality robusta. I think the clear answer is yes. So there there are these farms available. There have been tasting events at the Specialty Coffee Association's big annual expo where you can taste our graded uh, robustas. Um, mm. And they're, you know, they're better. They're, there's always a range, right? There's always, right. there's always better and, and worse things um, out there in the world. So yes, if you, if you just apply, you know, good farm management techniques and take care with your processing, you're going to produce a better quality coffee. Is it better enough that people are willing to pay the premium that it costs to manage your farm in that way or to, you know, install the new processing facility or to update your equipment or whatever. I think that is still maybe more of an open question. Is there Mm -hmm. a market for higher quality Robustas? Will people pay enough to justify what it takes? And I think that in order to know the answer to that question, there's still a lot more that needs to be done in terms of figuring out, well, what what is the potential of Robusta? What is it's not gonna taste like Arabica. It's a different plant. It grows in different conditions. Right. It's um I think to have the expectation that you're gonna get a, a an R graded Robusta that tastes like a, you know, a Kenyan whatever. But at the end of the day, is that the point I don't think that's the point. I think the point is to find what is its unique, different special quality that you couldn't get in Arabica, you know? And I think that where there's a lot of potential for this is in looking at blends and looking at espresso, trying to figure out like there might be some really interesting attributes of good quality Robusta that roasters could do really interesting things with, but it's Mm. so unexplored and it's so- Well, that's exciting, isn't it? I feel like to some, that's like, hey, like chase that down, be the first in that, in that group of people doing that kind of roasting. I mean, the, uh, you know, the whole, um, there's, there's this kind of whole trend in, in, in Arabica special, the super specialty stuff. The, the idea or the image is almost like, like purity or nakedness, you know, like I, as a roaster, Mm -hmm. am not all I'm doing is bringing out the naked raw, pure potential of this bean. And I'm, I'm, attempting to do the minimum amount of damage possible to it, but I'm really just creating the conditions for it to, to flower on its own, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a lovely image. It's very romantic, but at the end of the day, it's also just patently untrue. Like when you roast coffee, you fundamentally change it. Yeah. You chemically (laughs) change it. And, and that's the value that you add, right? That is, that is the value that you add. And so I think there is tremendous potential for roasters to explore like what Robusta might be able to do in a way that is new and unique. And just, we just haven't fully tapped its potential as a, as a plan yet. And then the other thing I'll say about that is we also, um, more from the perspective of, of the work that say WCR does, we haven't done very much breeding with Robusta. Like we haven't really attempted hmm. to improve the quality of the plant itself or to what we call genetic improvement. So most of the coffee breeders around the world that have existed over the last hundred years have pretty much focused on Arabica. It's not to say no, no work has been done, but partly hmm. because Robusta is more genetically diverse as a species, it's been a lot easier to just sort of like walk into a forest or walk onto a farm and say like, Ooh, that one looks good. It's really vigorous. And look how many cherries it's producing. 
let's use that and, you know, take some cherries Mm. and, and set up a seed lot. And then all of a sudden you've got, you know, tons of seedlings that you can distribute to farmers in your local region. But, but that's not a, you know, that's pretty old school method of breeding. (laughs) Um, And in terms of really exploring, like, can we target certain flavor attributes? Can we try to bring out uh, the best in or a certain quality in this plant, very, very little has been done. You know, one of the things that I'm really excited about is that World Coffee Research is now going to be doing some of that. Yeah, let's hear about this. Yeah. So, okay. So our, let's see, we're, st- we're kind of still pretty young. We're, we're growing up fast, but we're only, we've only been actually <laughs> operating for about six years. And in those first six years, we have focused exclusively on Arabica and for lots of good reasons, but one of them is just the threat is higher to Arabica. Um, climate change is, is putting more pressure on Arabica. A lot of the kind of places where Arabica is grown, there's more competition for land and labor. And so it's just, it's harder to stay in the game as an Arabica farmer. So that has been all well and good. But I think partly as as we and as the industry as a whole has come to appreciate the, the threat that climate change is posing to the long-term future of coffee, we've made the decision that we can't ignore Robusta. And that's, mm-hmm. there's kind of a couple reasons for that. One is there's a lot of farmers in those lower and middle altitude regions who it would be basically irresponsible to tell them, here, go plant this. Uh, knowing mm-hmm. that the, the the temperature is expected to rise by two degrees Celsius over the next 30 years, which is the life of a coffee tree. So you put a tree in the ground this year, that's the next 30 years yeah, you're stuck years, with this yeah. same tree. Um, and that that plant is going to struggle or fail. We can't do that. And so you know, Robusta is another option. I mean, there's other options too. There's cacao and beans and corn, but of course we want to see people <laughs> stay in coffee. So, <laughs> um, so, so there's Robusta just, just kind of waiting in the wings and it's, it's better adapted for some of these environments and some of these situations, but it also has limitations, right? And so can we create a better quality Robusta plant that the main issue with Robusta is cup quality, right? It's, from a farming perspective, farmers love it. It just they get paid for the for cherry, and Robusta produces a lot more cherry than Arabica. <laughs> so mm-hmm. in general, yeah. you know, it, it all depends on how you manage it, etc. But it's in general mm-hmm. more productive. So so there's that, and then there's also this element of the the genetic diversity of Robusta. There's just a lot more going on in the plant, and there are some potentially some very unique traits that we can identify and and begin to understand the genetic mechanisms for them, like heat tolerance. Robusta in general is more tolerant to heat. So how does that work? What are the underlying genes and kind of molecular systems that enable that plant to withstand higher temperatures? And Mm -hmm. can we, through breeding, bring some of those traits over into Arabica so that you've got the, the higher cup quality, but some of the kind of you know, agronomic performance of Robusta. Um, so we're going to yeah. be looking at that as well. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> it's really <laughs> exciting stuff. It's really cool. And the, you know, the example, people might be like, well, that sounds crazy. But um, there's, a, there's a really good existing example of um, this kind of crossover. And that is this plant called the Timor hybrid, which was a, mm-hmm. people might have heard about it. Um, it's a spontaneous natural cross between Arabica and Robusta that happened on a farm or in a forest on this island called East Timor 
in the probably 1920s is when it was first identified. And, mm-hmm. you know, the typically what defines one species versus another is that they can't mate. They can't, like, they can't have sex with each other. But for whatever reason, they did (laughs) this one time. And the baby, the offspring was this hybrid, you know, it was half Robusta, half Arabica. The really important thing that happened with that plant is that it is an Arabica plant. So it has um, four copies of chromosome. It's called a tetraploid. Um, So it's it's an Arabica. It can be crossed with other Arabicas. It it lives inside the species of Arabica. But Mm -hmm. it brought over a genetic trait from its dad, Robusta, um, that gave it resistance to coffee leaf rust, which is one of the most important diseases that affects Mm -hmm. coffee farms around the world. You know, and this happened spontaneously in nature. Humans recognized that it had happened and took advantage of it. That's romantic. I know, right? right? It's, yeah, good good old-fashioned coffee romance. So... (laughs) here, honey, let me give you this disease protection. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, so, you know, we already have this great example how that can happen in nature. And um, so it's very, it's very conceivable that we, as especially as our knowledge of, of coffee advances, uh, the Arabica, the, the Robusta genome was sequenced in 2014. There are now multiple projects working on Arabica genome sequence. Um, we'll be making one available next week for the public or, you know, really for scientists. I'm not sure what the public would do with it, but um, I'll, I'll look at it. Yeah. I'll look at it. It's a whole bunch of weird data that's impossible <laughs> to understand. But, you know, as we, as we apply these modern technologies, the kind of genetics revolution, we begin to be able to build a map of what genes in what locations are controlling these different traits so that breeders can really be very efficient in focusing in on, okay, what are the things we're going to need in the 21st century? We're going to need heat tolerance. We're going to need drought tolerance. We're going to need resistance. We're going to need cup quality. So how, how mm-hmm. do we how do we locate those things at a genetic level and kind of pick and choose the best parts and, and try to build a plant that is going to meet the needs of farmers and also give us what we want in the cup. Hannah, I think there's a psychological element to this conversation that we haven't quite touched on yet. And I don't know the full history behind it, but I do know that on almost every bag I see uh, walking through the grocery store, I see somewhere 100% Arabica, right? Mm -hmm. There's this assumption, probably for consumers at this point, where they're going to assume if it's not if it doesn't say 100% Arabica, it's not 100% what it should be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about this? Is is this going to be a challenge for the future of Robusta in the specialty market? You know, that's a really interesting question. And I would be really curious. I feel like, I feel like there's probably some especially bigger, you know, coffee company out there that's got a research staff or whatever that's that's done market testing and market research to see how motivating that designation is, you know, 100% Arabica. My sense is, you know, I talk about coffee a lot to a lot of people, including people like (laughs) my mom and my grandpa and (laughs) people who are not coffee people. And like, I don't think they have any idea what Arabica means. I think Mm -hmm. they, they read it like almost maybe what's more important for a lay consumer who's not, you know, a little bit educated about coffee or invested in coffee is not the Arabica part. It's the hundred percent part, right? That, that psychology Mm -hmm. of like, Oh, it's pure, it's pure something, pure what? I don't know. 
Um, but it's pure. <laughs> pure something. Like, I kind of wonder if you just switched it to say 100% Robusta, if people would be totally fine with that. Because, <laughs> because they don't know what Robusta means or what Arabica means. Right. So from a consumer perspective, I'm not, I really don't know if people have a feel for what that means or what its value is. Um, I think for people that are a little bit educated about coffee or that, that do have some familiarity, probably, you know, the Arabica designation matters. Um, and mm-hmm. I say, I say this from a totally uneducated point of view, like, like I said, I assume that there are like companies that have done market research on this and right. and that they're making that choice for a reason. <laughs> you know, maybe there is much more built in kind of bias or, or knowledge around it from like a lay consumer than I'm aware of. But I mean, most people, I think, think coffee is coffee is coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you start throwing these words at them and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, I just want a coffee. Like, <laughs> Did you just say sp- species and taxonomy. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like if we didn't ask the question about the psychological element, we wouldn't do the conversation justice. So I'm happy yeah. we we're able to at least uh, begin with a little bit of speculation. Maybe we can find somebody for the show who can jump into that deeper. But I think at the end of it, we kind of have posed this question, you know, is Arabica superior to Robusta? Um, I'm leaning towards the overall answer being no. I think it's, you know, superior for who? Um, Superior to what end? And if your starting point is just that the only thing that matters is what's in the cup, I think you can make a compelling argument that Arabica is better than Robusta. Mm -hmm. If your answer is more complicated than that, um, if it's what matters to a farmer, uh, if it's what matters for, you know, the the future longevity of the coffee industry as a whole, then I think you have a different answer. <laughs> and I think that answer right. has to include Robusta. So maybe maybe another question is, should we pit these two species against one another, you know, brother against brother or sister against sister, what have you? Is, is that know, even fair to just, do? No, it's not fair to do, but we love a good cage match, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. I mean, it's like it's good to have a storyline no I don't it's not fair to do from a from a practical perspective but um, I mean it makes sense that that's what we've done right they're different they have different qualities and people I think humans are just oriented to categorize things and make relative judgments Again, though, we've actually done so little exploration of um, coffee in general, but Robusta in particular. I think that as we learn more and more about what its potential is, that easy kind of cage match might begin to disintegrate a little bit. People will ask more nuanced questions about um, superior in what way or better for what. Um, Right now, we don't have a lot of answers to those questions because we're just at the beginning of of really of even asking. And it sounds Sounds like uh, WCR is at the beginning of some new projects as well. You want to talk about those just a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned that we are expanding into research on Robusta um, starting this year. And the the kind of tangible piece of that, there's a couple different pieces of it. We are hoping to begin work on a multi-location Robusta trial. So we have a version of this for Arabica that's up and running and it, we have 24 partner countries in it. And the idea is that you take 
some, you know, identified high performing good Arabica varieties, and you plant them in different kinds of environments in different locations around the world. And you sort of see how they do in these different environments. There's, there's Mm -hmm. lots of varieties that they were developed in one place or selected in one place. And we've never really seen what their potential is in a different place um, or in a Mm -hmm. different environment. And we do that with also a specific eye to kind of climate change. So we make sure that some of these trials are in hot, dry places, some of them are in cooler, wetter places, so that we can see, you know, how the the genetics are interacting with the environment. So we're pretty far along with that for Arabica, but we would like to do the same for Robusta and kind of collect, you know, some of the the best examples of uh, Robusta that are being commercially grown out there and, and put them in these different climates and locations and environments and really generate hard, comparable data that's going to help us learn what these different kind of best best in class uh, varieties are capable of and potentially help expand access to some of the better ones in different parts of the world. So that's, that's one component. Um, that wouldn't be up and running right away, but we are... Um, beginning to have those conversations. And then I mentioned the breeding work. So we just announced to, today, kind of, <laughs> that we are <laughs> we are establishing a new breeding hub in Africa, in Rwanda for Arabica. So mm-hmm. this is a, a partnership with the Rwanda Agriculture Board. They have some incredibly skilled breeders there, and they're going to kind of serve as a hub for the whole region. So if you're mm. Kenya or Tanzania or uh, Republic of Congo or Burundi, and you would like to work on some dedicated new varieties for your country, you can come through this hub and bring the kind of best local material that you have, the best varieties that are currently growing in your country, and work with us and the breeders at Rwanda Agricultural Board to make crosses and um, try to develop something that would be really optimal for you. So that's for Arabica, and that's going to happen. That'll that's already kind of underway, actually. That's um, the the hub is up and running, and crosses are being made, and we're working awesome. with various countries. Um, we hope to do the same with Robusta. Probably um, the kind of powerhouse Robusta country in Africa is Uganda. Uh, it's one of the places where Robusta evolved. They are really putting a ton of effort and money into their coffee sector right now. They're trying to triple their production. Um, they're, they're, wow. the, it's, and all of this is coming from like a presidential directive. So it goes to the very, very top. Um, so there's wow. a huge commitment right now in Rabat, in Uganda to coffee. And they, are, they do grow some Arabica, but they're primarily a Robusta producer. I think about 90% of their production is Robusta. Um, and they're very interested in helping us jumpstart a kind of regional program for Robusta breeding in Africa. So oh, okay. um, that, I think, is super exciting. And then we're already, you know, kind of hard at, at work thinking about, this is still in the planning stages, but, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about strategies for, I mentioned, like, crossing Arabica and Robusta again. Or mm-hmm. um, even a- another idea that we haven't done it yet, but that we're thinking about is, can we recreate Arabica? Can we take the two parents of Arabica, Robusta and Eugenioides, and make new crosses and try to oh, come up with an interesting, you know, a, a Arabica-like... I know, yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. Um, I know, it's like, sci- it's like sci-fi on the one hand, and also it's like the most basic plant breeding, like what farmers have been doing for 200 years. It's like <laughs> you take a little pollen and you blow it over here. And 
you know. So anyway, it's um, it's very exciting. There's there's a lot of different directions that this could go in, um, and part of it also is going to be looking at um, quote unquote like softer elements of the science. So looking at you know socioeconomics, what what makes a robusta producer different from an arabica producer? What are the conditions uh, hmm. in for which you know, Robusta makes more sense. Arabica makes more sense. We have we have some kind of anecdotal general feel for this, but as we get trials in the ground and as we really ramp up our Robusta research program, um, I'm quite sure we'll be looking more specifically at some of these questions because um, this is a, you know this is a huge question in coffee right now. You're trying to help a farmer prepare for climate change. One of the ways that you can do that, by, by no means the only way, but one of the ways is looking at what plants they have and looking at, are, is there a plant that's better suited for not just the climate you have today, but what you think the climate's going to be in 20 years in that location. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty clear that in many places, Robusta might be a good bet, but we don't have a lot of granularity around that. You know, it's, it's kind of a gut instinct. And so, you know, getting some real research behind that, I think, is something that we're looking forward to. Yeah, uh, it's exciting to hear all that y'all are doing. So um, excited to to see what comes in the future with WCR. Well, we're just so excited to <laughs> find out too. I mean, that's the cool thing about science is like, we have no idea <laughs> what we're going to find. We just know it's going to be fun. Um, right yeah, so this is, I think this is a really cool topic. I'm so glad that you guys uh, were interested in tackling it. And I think it's super relevant for this conversation, this really important conversation about like, what? is the future of coffee. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about between now and 2050, all this climate change research is like by 2050 or by 2100, you know, mm-hmm. the, the climate, the world will look like X, but let's just say 2050 by 2050, that's 35 years from now ish. That's like the life of a coffee tree. So pretty much every coffee tree on the planet should be replaced between now and 2050. That's not actually going to happen. But in theory, you know, right. if you had like efficient farming methods, you you would be replacing all those trees. Well, what are we going to replace them with? Um, and I think mm-hmm. this question of Arabica versus Robusta is a really interesting one and clearly um, on the minds of farmers. I mean, that's something that they are, these are the kinds of questions that they have to ask themselves every day. Well, Hannah, thanks for joining us for the conversation and uh, jumping in the deep end on something to uh, ruffle some feathers here on the coffee podcast. Okay. Well, I pre-apologize if I got any facts or figures wrong. You can take me to task on Twitter. Um, And I do really encourage people to look into the R program that um, Coffee Quality Institute um, has created because I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting other element of this component that I'm not an expert on by any means. Mm. So please, (laughs) please don't uh, hold me to any of the statements I made about that. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's a really easy place for people who are interested in quality in particular to begin thinking about this Robusta thing. If you hear that smacking in the background, that's my dog chewing on a coffee bean. Thanks for tuning into the first episode in this new series on coffee myths. There are a lot of exciting episodes ahead, so stay with us. If you want more of the coffee podcast, remember you can sign up for our newsletter for free on our website. We promise not to spam you. I hate email spam. I hate it so much. So we won't be doing that. Don't worry. Also, if you sign up, you'll be in an advantage for learning about cool new content and winning cool coffee prizes. So go ahead and sign up for that newsletter. Uh, No harm, no foul there. And uh, 
honestly, it's just good to be back. So thanks for tuning in. And as always, and until next time, happy brewing.